Hello and welcome to Opinionated Science, the podcast from Technology Networks. On Opinionated Science, we pan the creek bed of science, lobbing away the fool's gold of bad research and extracting only the highest quality gold standard research to present to you. I'm Rory McKenzie, a senior science writer for Technology Networks, and on today's podcast, I am joined by my colleague Sarah Whelan. How are you, Sarah? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm good. I'm good. I was trying to think as I do each episode of our kind of joining theme for the studies we're presenting today. And the only one I could think of is that they are both some crazy future science. I mean, you're going to be talking about replacement corneas taken from pigs? Yeah, so sort of bioengineering corneal implants from pig skin. That's some sci-fi stuff. and That's some crazy stuff. It is indeed. And I am going to be talking about a new innovative uh, brain stimulation technique that apparently can restore two different types of memory in older adults. So we're going to be shocking the brain, we're going to be putting in pig implants, it's going to be a lot of future science today. So uh, our listeners, please please buckle up and get ready for some future science on updated (laughs) science. So uh, Sarah, I'll start with uh, my study if that's okay. So uh, I'm talking today about our research paper published in Nature Neuroscience by a group from uh, Boston University. Now, this team, uh, the Reinhardt Lab, have been involved in brain stimulation research for a while. So uh, brain stimulation for a bit of background is a big, big area. You know, there's lots of different techniques that are used to non-invasively stimulate the brain. So this means essentially passing electrical current through the brain, generally through uh, an EEG cap. So if you can imagine one of these, like sensor-laden skin tight caps that they, they place on people. I think you have to like wet your scalp a bit underneath it, so it's a little bit gross, but it's very non-invasive, passes this weak current through um, through the scalp. And by doing this in a targeted fashion using particular frequencies of uh, stimulation, you can modulate particular oscillations and brain waves that, that pass through the brain and make up the sort of day-to-day currency of our, our brain's activity. So this technique is... This is sounding very strange oh, things. Oh, very much so. You know, <laughs> Whilst there are a number of different types of simulation technique, uh, the one I'm going to be talking about today is called TAX. So uh, this is a type of brain simulation technique that uses alternating current. It's called transcranial alternating current stimulation. So the the wave that's going through is, is passing through an AC current. And the reason that's been chosen by the by the particular team and why they champion this particular uh, form of stimulation is because it kind of mimics the natural oscillations that uh, brain waves show. Um, so that still means they need to specialize in and, and alter the, the protocol for each different application, but that's the kind of technique we're talking about today. So in this particular study, uh, the, I mean, the... Uh, this, this research lab certainly don't go, go for small targets. They've, they've published papers on the basis of attention in the brain. They published one a few years back, which was using tax as a therapy, uh, I believe, for obsessive compulsive disorder. And this one here is looking at uh, you know an even bigger target, that of aging and effects on the cognition in aging. So the, the, author, the senior author, Robert Reinhardt, uh, speaking in a press conference, which I attended, discussed this idea by framing, you know, we, we know Alzheimer's is a, a huge problem to an aging society, but even greater than that is 
you know, the cognitive deficits that happen with healthy aging. So all the volunteers in the study, they got together 150 volunteers between the ages of 65 and 88. All of them are healthy, older individuals. I mean, obviously at a certain age, because people do have cognition uh, loss, because people have memory loss, these kind of things. It's, it's all along a spectrum, but none of them were diagnosed with Alzheimer's or any form of dementia. So we're looking at a healthy, older cohort of volunteers here. So among these 150 people, the volunteers were essentially divided into to four groups uh, with the aim of seeing whether or not tax alternating current stimulation could be used to improve their everyday memory. So they divided them, as I said, into four groups. You had two control groups that were given um, a sham procedure. And this is quite a good thing about tax stimulation is that if you are getting the actual procedure itself you get only a very 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 light vibration through the cap so it's relatively easy to create a control which makes people think they're getting that stimulation when they actually aren't and then there were two test groups now the test groups um, received different protocols of stimulation uh, to different areas of the brain so one group um, had uh, a sort of weak current targeted at the frontal cortex and another group had it targeted at a much uh, lower frequency uh, at the parietal cortex as well. So um, the reason they're targeting these these different brain areas is that previous research by this group and by other researchers had connected these brain areas to particular types of memory. So they were hoping that by targeting to these particular brain areas, they could slightly modulate these, these different types of memory. So to assess these different types of memory, they used uh, kind of a one of these lab protocols which even the researchers admit isn't a particularly realistic version of the kind of memory challenges you have to deal with in real life so they were uh, they gave their volunteers five lists of 20 words and asked them after had, having the, the words read to them to recall the words from the list so not too often you uh, have to do that on a daily basis unless you're sort of some kind of serial quiz show contestant but they did this this battery of cognitive tests over four consecutive days. So they were giving people this tax stimulation and asking them to recite these words from these lists. So what they showed was that by applying this weak uh, stimulation, but this one was at a high frequency to the prefrontal cortex, the participants' long-term memory could be selectively improved. So they measured that by saying, uh, how well do they recall each of the words? So this 20 long list, and they showed that the, the benefit was only to the words at the start of the list. So that shows that uh, you know, as opposed to the ones most recently remembered, there was no change there, but the words that were longest to go in their memory, so they're having to hold it in kind of their, their, their long-term memory, at that point there was a benefit with this frontal stimulation. And then with the parietal group, and at this much lower frequency, they showed that it was actually the most recent words that were improved in terms of, of recall. So um, in both cases it was selective, but in both cases there was this significant improvement um, after, after the stimulation. And whilst this is exciting as of itself the big finding they noticed was that when they came back and brought their their participants in a month later a lot of these benefits were maintained um, so that suggests that you know just a few um, few days of stimulation and these sessions of, of of stimulation were only 20 minutes so we're talking just over just under an hour and a half in total of stimulation can provide cognitive benefits that last for up to a month now that's pretty exciting. And a few of the other findings from the research made the scientists behind it even more excited about the kind of implications of it. And namely, that was that they noted that the participants uh, whose rate of improvement in memory was quickest also had the most enduring effects. And they showed that the participants that had the greatest general um, impairment in cognition, even though they're all healthy, they, they measured their, their cognition at the start. And the ones that had a baseline 
uh, the poorest cognition receive the most benefit from the stimulation protocol. Now, the reason they're excited about this is because the next stage of their study is to look at how these stimulation techniques affect uh, people in a clinical trial. So they're hoping to recruit people with either um, early stage memory loss, so um, not maybe dementia, but the, the early stages of, of memory loss, or people with actually Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia, and see how tax stimulation could maybe affect their memory. Um, so yeah, I have to consider that not targeting people with any clinical issues right now, so we can't say this is going to be a treatment for these disorders. That's that's way way ahead of this research. But at this early stage, it's quite exciting to see that this kind of brain research can produce enduring effects. And the the most significant part of that is that while we know that tax stimulation um, has effects on the oscillating brain patterns, um, oscillating brain waves, uh, these effects wear off quite quickly. And it's in fact a, a separate process that's in enabling. Uh, this enduring effect and the author said that this is an effect called entrainment which is where uh, brain waves tend to naturally synchronize to external stimuli so that's happening in the short term and they believe that the process of this entrainment leads to changes to the brain's plasticity so rewiring of connections uh, that enables the effect to last a little bit longer into that, to that month-long period so you know, if you can tap into these like, endogenous processes that are happening in the brain and use stimulation as kind of like a, a kickstart to get them uh, working again in maybe ways they haven't been in, in older age, then you can reach this potential of having these enduring effects. So there's plenty to be excited about this research. It's an early stage, but for another another significant finding for tax research. <laughs> I'm quite amazed by that. It's cool, isn't That's it? That's amazing. That sounds like it's really promising because... Just the like how quick each treatment is, like you said, it was only sort of about twenty minutes or something. Mm-hmm. That that could make it really easy to be just like a really out, like outpatient procedure. People can go in, just oh. have it done, just in and out in an hour or so, I guess, possibly even. Yeah. Well, they have some helmets. Essentially, they they, they have uh, some brain stimulation helmets. So the the uh, overarching term for non-invasive brain stimulation is NIBS. And they have some NIBS helmets, which um, I know it's great, great uh, acronym. Um, they have some that are already available on the market. I've so. got a better one coming up. Okay, I can't wait, can't wait. So one is called the <laughs> Flow TDCS headset. So this is using direct current stimulation. That's been approved as a medical device by the FDA, I believe, for use in types of some types of uh, enduring clinical depression. So there's a lot of different applications of it. Um, and I think... With something like that, when there's kind of like a gold rush for a new technique, you have to be really careful to make sure that, you know, each use of it stands up because often scientists can get, as a group, very excited that this is the the big new technique and it suddenly gets applied to all these different things and trying to work out which ones are actually have the the important, well-done research backing it up and which ones don't is is a bit of a challenge. But certainly it's something that could be done at home, you know, as as it's already been licensed for at-home use with this TDCS headset. But I think, like you said, it's it's exciting to to see that it's it's so quick. Uh, But we'll have to see, I think one key test will be whether or not there's benefits in like actual everyday memory situations because as i said at the start you don't often have to memorize lists of 20 words but you know if you give it to people and then say can you remember what your car was or can you remember what was on you know a shopping list or um you know did you have any forgetful episodes during the day that kind of real world experience is going to be really useful for it so i would love to hear about your um pigskin corneas and some weird acronyms 
Yeah, so my study this week that I've picked is curing corneal blindness using pig skin implants. So basically they've engineered collagen extracted from pig skin to provide an alternative to corneal transplants that we'd usually get from uh, like donor corneas. Yeah, so this study is taken from Nature Biotechnology and it's really important because corneal blindness is um, one of the biggest causes of blindness. So problems with the cornea, according to the World Health Organization, is the fourth biggest cause of blindness. And in, what is the cornea, basically? So the cornea is a clear dome-shaped part of the eye. So it forms the front of the eye. It protects mm -hmm. the eye. Um, it's about half a millimeter thick. And in the middle of the cornea, it contains a thin collagen-filled layer called the Bowman's membrane. And that's really kind of what we're looking at here for this particular study. Um, so at the moment, people who um, are suffering with corneal blindness, the best treatment is a corneal transplant. And one of the leading causes of needing a corneal transplant is a condition called keratoconus. And so that's where you get a thinning of the cornea and it bulges outwards. Um, we don't really know what causes it, but it can lead to blurred vision, sensitivity to light and sensitivity to glare. And it really reduces the amount of refraction you can get in the cornea and can really impair people's vision. Mm -hmm. And so most of the corneas that people get transplanted come from uh, donors. So these are people who very kindly choose to donate their corneas after their death. However, there's quite a big shortage of donated corneas. And this is complicated by the fact that most of the countries that have a really high keratoconus burden are low to middle income countries. And so these tend to have quite poor transplant infrastructure mm -hmm. and poor uh, organ donation infrastructure as well. So this means that only one in 70 people in need of a corneal transplant will actually get one. So oh, that's no. a pretty astonishing number. Yeah. So then to address this problem, there's a group of scientists and doctors from Sweden, Iran, and India. And so they've worked together to try and bioengineer synthetic tissue to use for corneal transplants, to try and make up like a stopgap between the lack of uh, human corneas available for transplant. So considering that this inner layer of the cornea is made mostly from collagen. They actually chose pig skin as a byproduct of the food industry to extract collagen from. So you can take all the excess skin left over and they extract the collagen from that and use that to produce the implant. I thought, sorry, I thought this would be like some special lab source of of pig skin, but it's, it's just byproducts and food waste. Wow. Yeah, it's quite remarkable actually that they can, it, you can repurpose it that way. It doesn't need to be any sort of special conditions or anything like that for them, uh -huh. that they can take it from the food industry and actually find a way to use something the other way that otherwise might not have been used. Really. Yeah. So that's quite good. It's cutting down on a waste that way. So yeah, I spoke to one of the authors uh, over email and he explained to me a little bit more about the process. So they take this pig skin, take it into the lab, they purify the collagen out of the skin. Uh, that skin is then rehydrated. They cross-link all the collagen fibers together to make a really sort of strong collagen cross-linked material. Then they add 
riboflavin to that or vitamin B2, which is the same thing. They expose that to UV light and then the photochemical interactions in there binds these collagen fibers together. And that results in a really robust hydrogel implant, basically. So you can take this pig skin, take it in the lab, and they can produce just kind of pure collagen cross-linked to right. produce this implant. Uh, and so here's where the catchy name comes in. So they've okay. dubbed this dubbed this the bioengineered porcine construct double crosslinks, also known as BPCDX. Oh, I mean that's just <laughs> It really rolls off the tongue that one. It's no it's no nibs, Sarah. It's no nibs. Love a love a jargony. Love a jargony. Yeah. You know. No, you know, sometimes, especially it seems genetic researchers, when they're designing, when they're picking like a new gene, they'll just pick some random stuff. Like, you know, the, the guy that was playing Sonic. I could do a Sonic, whole other podcast. You know? Oh, I know, I know. But, yes, uh, that's the one. Your Sonic Hedgehog. I could yeah. do a whole other podcast. That's, <laughs> that's a pet peeve of mine, as well as uh, Ken and Barbie. Ken and Barbie, oh, what's pet that? Peeves for... Yeah, so uh, I think... These were genes identified in Drosophila, and I think certain mutations in these two Ken and Barbie genes uh, resulted in the flies having no external genitalia. <laughs> so they were called Ken, Ken and Barbie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the story behind it. I love that. But yeah, I that's my that. pet my pet peeve is crazy gene names. Okay. I could do a whole another podcast about that, but anyway. We'll right. But this so, is a very serious yeah. one. So B B C B X D X. Yep. Okay. That's the one. B P C D X. Exactly yep. what I said. So <laughs> after they've yeah, they've <laughs> they validated that they uh could produce these implants and that they were sterile, that they were basically compatible with human cells. So they uh, cultured them in vitro um, with human cells and found that like these cells tolerated it. They grew and then they were fine um, growing basically on these um, implants that they produced. So after they'd done all the kind of validation steps that they needed to do, um, they moved on to testing these models in pigs. They took five pigs and they removed a small piece of the cornea from each of these pigs and replaced it with an identically sized BPCDX insert. Uh, and then they evaluated these pigs after surgery, taking a look at the corneas, how they were tolerating it. And six months after surgery, they found that all five pigs that had the procedure um, had corneas that remained clear. So that's really important for light refraction and vision. Um, and that there was no degradation in the cornea after surgery or any change in thickness. Um, so it seemed to be really well tolerated and was quite a success in pigs. Um, so after that, they were then able to evaluate this in uh, a small human trial. So they took 20 people. So they used two cohorts, one of which was in Iran and one of which uh, is in India. And so these are both areas where there's really high demand for corneal transplants. Um, and basically they took these patients and used laser assisted surgery to add the implants to the native corneal tissue. So they didn't remove any tissue like they did in the pigs. Mm. They just added this using microsurgery, laser assisted surgery to the um, corneas of these people um, as an alternative to trying to source 
donor corneas, which would have been very difficult. Um, so they obviously really closely followed these patients post-surgery and evaluated the vision afterwards. And they found that at the end of the follow-up period, all of these people, their vision had improved to an equivalent degree as what could be achieved with human donor corneas. So wow. it's kind of showing that they were just as successful. Um, and I think there were 14 patients that were classified as legally blind um, prior to the surgery. And at the end of the follow-up period, none of them were classified as blind in the operated eye. That's incredible. So that's quite an achievement, quite an achievement for just something that was taken from a factory, went to the lab, flew to India and Iran and uh, managed to restore the vision in these people. Um, and also from the paper, the authors state that three of the trial participants in India um, who were blind actually ended up with 2020 vision. So not only was their vision restored, what? it was 2020. So that's perfect, pretty much perfect vision. Get me some pig bits right now. Um, you know, these, <laughs> this, this vision ain't getting any yeah, better I'm wearing glasses. I could do with some of these. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So. Yeah. So. Uh, all that combined, the authors were pretty excited with it, and they stated that it was promising as not not only because of like the success it had, but the shelf life of these implants was um, tested, and they were viable for at least two years. I think just sort of normal um, refrigeration temperature, mm -hmm. and so they can be shipped and refrigerated pretty much anywhere, um, and so that makes it really good for um, places with poor transplant infrastructure and mm. it, this potentially opens up this procedure to the other 69 out of 70 people who weren't able to get a transplant mm. before perhaps we can reduce that number down and start getting people's vision restored hopefully amazing so thank you for sharing yeah, that with us Sarah. i have to say no i am um, yeah and and i guess it's it's, it's one of these things like you forget that it can be all these different causes to blindness and you know curing blindness as a whole is going to involve tons of different innovations but um these kind of these kind of techniques using something that's you know as available as as leftover byproducts from the food industry is, is really incredible so yeah very promising um but i believe that's all the time we have for a look into the future today so sarah thank you for for joining me for your futuristic research and um I hope listeners, if you, you know, like me, you're peering through some glasses or maybe your memory's getting a bit patchy. Don't fear because science is here. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, thanks for, uh, for listening. So that's all the time we have for today's opinionated science, but we'll be back in a couple of Fridays time with some new research. I hope it's, you know, it's as sexy as the research we've just discussed now, but no promises. But until then, please do like, share and subscribe to our podcast and please comment on it as well. Don't keep your opinions to yourself. Bye for now.